Welcome to Day 85 of Shaped by the Word. When we left the Apostle Paul on Friday, he was in the city of Ephesus. A huge riot has broken out. Uh, almost the entire city floods into the theater. Paul wants to address the crowd in the theater, but the disciples persuade him not to. Uh, they shout for two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. And the riot finally is broken up, you know, not because there's any resolution, but because uh, it is illegal to riot in Rome. And we find Paul saying goodbye uh, today to the city of Ephesus, tying up a few loose ends as he ends his third missionary journey and heads back to the city of Jerusalem. So we'll begin this week uh, with a riot in um, Ephesus. We'll end the week with a riot in Jerusalem. So before we uh, continue on Paul's journey, uh, let's offer ourselves to the Lord. Um, Matt, you mind lifting us up in prayer? Yeah. Father, we thank you for this time together in your word. And we thank you that you have spoken to us uh, both through your son and through your word. And so we pray as we um, we dive in to Acts 20 that, that, Father, you would be glorified in us and through us, that you would accomplish your purposes in us through your word. And um, we pray for, for insight as we read. Um, mm-hmm. God, would you uh, illuminate the scriptures to us, give us wisdom. Um, and, and, Father, would you build us up in Christ Jesus through what we read. Uh, be glorified. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed for three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went ahead to wait for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were meeting. Sitting in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. People took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. And we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When we met at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off to Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul went to Ephesus, sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When he arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of many Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 
however I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, for I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from among your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, that is more blessed to give than receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Obviously, one of the most moving scenes in the in the New Testament, mm-hmm. and one of the richest speeches in the New Testament. We've seen uh, how Paul addresses the synagogues, you know, filled with uh, Jewish, uh, you know, uh, those that followed Judaism and uh, Gentiles, God fearers. We've seen how he addresses audiences that had no clue about Scripture, uh, especially in Athens. And here we just see his charge to the church leadership, and it is a it's a beautiful charge and a rich mm-hmm. moment. And you see him mention tears more than once. So part of my ministry has been the tears that I've shed along with you as, as we minister together. So what are some of the things that uh, jump off the page as uh, we read this part of Paul's journey? Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about just the, the ministry of discipleship um, you know, from Paul. But I, I, one of the things I, I love that always stands out to me when I read this passage is you know, the uproar ends and Paul sent for the disciples and he encourages them. Yeah. You know, and, and so I think for me, even as I read this and I just think about our cultural moment, like we're starving for encouragement. And I love what, what Paul does. He doesn't just encourage them by speaking kind of flattering words. He encourages them from the scriptures. You know, and, and just being reminded, I mean, he does the same thing with the Ephesian elders when he's, you know, he, he encourages them before he, he takes off. But just the necessity of, yeah. of encouraging one another in the scriptures. I think of Hebrews 10, we're in Hebrews, but, you know, do not neglect to meet together, you know, but encourage one another all yeah. the more. I mean, we need that encouragement that comes by speaking the word of God to, yeah. to one another. And, and, of course, you know, the word encouragement here can have, you know, both edges, you know, the positive edge of, uh, you know, uh, exhorting people, uh, you know, toward goodwill and also the, the warnings that you see, you know, that Paul gives yeah. in, as well. So exhortation, you know, has both warning edge to it and a promise edge to it or an encouraging edge to it. And it is, you know, very frank and very realistic uh, but the overall effect of it is that uh, it does uh, boost one's confidence in the gospel and in the Lord. Yeah. And he was so, I mean, he saw that he would be, he knew that he would be leaving. And so he, um, when it, I'm talking about verse 7 and following, that he just continues to talk. I love how Luke 
kind of describes the scene because you can tell Luke was there. You can just tell Luke was there and he was, and Paul just goes on and on. <laughs> and I can just picture that moment and Eutychus, they're three stories up and Eutychus falls out of the window and Paul says, don't worry, he's, he is alive. And then he just continues to talk until dawn, right? So this man just died after falling out of a three-story window and Paul continues to talk. I mean, that was very important to him. I don't know. This scene just makes me smile, but I love it. One of the most gracious acts in all of Scripture, someone fell asleep during the message, message. and Paul actually brought them back to life. Um, But anyway, now it is, and you you do get, Luke does paint, you know, the picture for us. There were so many lamps in that room, and you Mm -hmm. can kind of, you know, smell the oil fumes and feel the warmth, and uh, you know, Paul is uh, uh, Eutychus, and you know, no doubt had uh, spent the day working, and this was the end of the day, mm-hmm. and he would get up early the next day and go to work again, and uh, he's just sitting in that window and kind of mesmerized mm-hmm. by the the moment. I uh, I would have loved, you know, to uh, we've we've talked about this before to have been there for this, you know, twelve hour lecture, you yeah, know, that's yeah. taking place, you know, from sundown to midnight and then from midnight, you know, to probably five in the morning or mm-hmm. five thirty. And uh, you realize that uh, in Paul's manner of preaching, he would go through the Old Testament scriptures just the way Jesus had taught the apostles to do and point out how every bit of this pointed to Christ. I think, you know, particularly of his uh, message, you know, uh, to the first Corinthians where he talks about, you know, the children of Israel wandering through the desert and how God was not always pleased with them. And he uses the word twice examples you know, in mm-hmm. NIV, but it's, it's the word type. You know, how Israel's experiences, uh, you know, are a picture of our experiences and then encouraging them to remain, yeah. you know, faithful. It's such a funny scene. I, I always read this and I wonder, did Eutychus not have any friends in the room with him? You know, because like we sit in church and we notice when people around us nod off a little bit. Like you see it and, you know, you'll even like tap the person next to you to show them, you know, this person's nodding off. Like, where was Eutychus's friends? You know, they just let <laughs> yeah. him fall out of the window. But I, you And know, this it, is part of the reason we always build our sanctuaries <laughs> on the first floor. So yeah. the fall is yeah. not, uh, you know, very far. If you're on the back, if you're outside on the uh, the yeah. balcony or yeah. the deck, however, that fall yeah. would be a, a little bit serious. I mean, in all seriousness, though, it, it, it just shows us again how devoted they were to hearing the word of God. Mm-hmm. You know that I, I remember um, when I preached on this. I remember reading John Chrysostom's sermon on this, and he he was known as the golden mouth preacher of the early church. And he says that you know it shows us the devotion of the early church because, and then he kind of in, indicts his congregation and us. He says because we wouldn't even listen to Jesus teach this long. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, but it is. Yeah. We're seeing the early church's hunger for the word of God. Yeah. They know it's more than just words on a you know page or words coming from Paul. They they believe it's transformational. And, and you also see Paul's urgency to right. you know exactly. ground them in the word yep. and, and to make sure that you know that they they've been grounded. Uh, in the in the word, and then we run to the wonderful scene of the Ephesians elders. Paul is Paul wants to be in Jerusalem, you know, by Pentecost. Uh, we have a marker of you know the already of the festival of unleavened bread, which have been just after Passover, and, and so he has you know about a month you know yeah. to make it to, you know to Pentecost to celebrate you know that great moment of the birth of the church to celebrate that great. Uh, in a festival of Israel, the bringing in of the harvest, and of course, as he gets there, he will talk about the harvest that God is is now having among the Gentiles, which has, has been promised. And so he brings these Ephesian elders out, and, and we talked about this last week. He spent two whole years 
you know, teaching in the Hall of Tyrannus. I'd become very close to these people. And, uh, you know, what a what a moving, you know, scene as he brings them together, mm-hmm. declares his innocence. I, mm-hmm. and, and, and again, I, you know, I, I just like that, you know, he said, I serve the Lord, you know, in verse 19 with great humility mm-hmm. and with tears. What I did among you was deeply meaningful, you know, to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it brought me to the point of, of weeping with you, weeping for you. And, of course, he'll mention tears again, you know, before he closes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there'll be tears shed, you know, in this moment as uh, they see him off into the shores. They see the deep bond and the deep relationships and just yeah. the deep passion about the gospel. He's not just a Reformed theologian, you know, reciting a few propositions, you know, about God and predestination and election. All of this is deeply personal to him. And it's deeply personal because he loves us. Uh, that he's ministered to. That's such a reminder to me, like real ministry, real discipleship is going to be hard. It's going to be so tough and it's going to have many moments of, um, of pain and hurt when people hurt you. And, um, if you hurt, you know, if you hurt the people you're discipling because we're human and there's, there's just going to be, um, pain. And, but that's, like God shapes us in those yeah. moments, in mm-hmm. those seasons, and you see how close they were to Paul, and how hard it was for them to let him go. Um, and I just so I'm deeply encouraged as someone who you know, like I I find myself in seasons of pain in the middle of ministry, and you know sometimes I just want to throw my hands up. And and when I read passages like this, I'm deeply encouraged um, and reminded that I'm I'm right where God wants mm-hmm. me to be. But I loved, I mean, verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I mean, may that be true of us, mm-hmm. you know. And I, and I love too. just, I mean, we, we, we've seen this. Yeah, Paul is so devoted to completing the task the Lord has given him. And it's the proclamation of the good news. He tells him, you know, I have not hesitated to to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God's will. Right. But but he also, he doesn't just preach that and then live a different way. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're seeing him say, follow my example as well. And you know the example. Um, it makes me even think of, I just read something by J.I. Packer, and he says, I, you know, I've been given the gift or maybe the curse that I can speak better than I live. Mm-hmm. You know, and and essentially he was just kind of reminding people, you read my my theological works and I'm, I'm still... A, a sinner, you know, I'm still speaking or seeking to live up to what I speak. And, and we see Paul, the gospel wasn't just a message to proclaim and then live, you know, he lived in light of what he proclaimed yeah. and it shaped his entire life. And it, it's a call to us, you know. And I count my life nothing to me, only that I may finish, mm-hmm. you know, finish the race. Also, very interesting, you know, when he comes to, you know, this group, you have the, you know, the three words, you know, for, for a biblical leader, elder, one. Uh, that emphasizes wisdom and uh, maturity. Uh, then you have the word uh, overseer, one that emphasizes responsibility. And then you have the word shepherd, one that emphasizes great care mm-hmm. for those that you minister to. And you see all of these words come together. And he says, keep watch over yourselves, um, which is very important in leadership. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. has made you overseer. This is an assignment you're not you didn't get from the local church or a nominating committee. It's from from God. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's the church that God bought with His own blood. Uh, which, yeah, absolutely. 
and that there will be savage wolves, you know, involved. And you're so right, Katie. I remember you know, sharing the vision of an early church plant with my senior pastor, and um, he could tell how excited it was, and he said, it'll all be fun and games until people show up. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, you know, we're part of the mass. Yeah. And we're not just involved in the mass, we're, we're, we're part of the mass, but what a great calling it is. And now I commit you to God and the word of his mm-hmm. grace, uh, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are, who are made holy. What a fantastic charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and what a, what a fantastic scene. And this is, this is where you would like to see the movie credits roll. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't end here, and it doesn't mm-hmm. end in this moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace, and thank you for your goodness. Thank you for how you meet us in your word. Thank you for men like the Apostle Paul, who in so many ways, and imperfect as he was, has your heart for your people. Uh, may you give us a heart. Uh, may you give us wisdom to lead, uh, you know, as... as as an elder, may you give us uh, the responsibility or the, the sense of responsibility as an overseer, and may you give us the heart of a shepherd for those that we do lead. And we thank you for what your word can do as it builds us up and gives us a, a true inheritance in you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Mm-hmm.